Welcome back to Mastering Detail, a podcast brought to you by Flywheel Digital. You're listening to This Month Above the Fold, a monthly series on the Mastering Detail feed, where one of our digital commerce experts covers the most important e-commerce stories each month, and this is your August 2023 recap. I'm Emma Irwin, Senior Editor and Specialist at Flywheel, and I have Patrick Miller here, co-founder and co-president of Flywheel Digital here with me. Patrick, how have you been? How has your month been? Everything's been great. You know, it's been a nice, well, other than it's 90 some degrees in Baltimore in September. So it's definitely cooking here. That gets a little bit old. Uh, The humidity is high enough that you have to chew it before you breathe. And um, my kids started back in preschool. And within, you know, hours, uh, the contagion of preschool crud took over our house and I'm hacking up stuff. But other than all, other than global warming and and, and being sick and cranky, you know, and toddler meltdowns, uh, everything's great. It's like, have you ever seen that meme? It's the dog and it's on fire and it's like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, that was the uh, our morning and negotiating with a toddler of like whether he has to wear pants to school or whether he has to wear shorts to school or not. I'm like, no, <laughs> dude, you can't just go in your diaper. And that was, yeah. So I lost that negotiation, but eventually my, my wife won it. I'm so glad. Okay. <laughs> Today, we're going to cover Instacart filing on NASDAQ. Walmart and Target's earnings, and then Amazon opening off-site sponsor product inventory on sites such as Pinterest, BuzzFeed, etc. And so for story number one, I pulled this from a CNBC article, but on Friday, August 25th, Instacart filed its paperwork to go public, which is a incredibly long-awaited step in the process that we've all been following pretty closely. And so per the filing, Instacart has been profitable for five straight quarters. And my first question for you is, why file now? Well, they would have loved to have filed when the valuation was a lot higher, but it it, finally the capital markets are opening up. So this is really one of the first big tech listings post macro slowdown. So it's a bellwether for the broader IPOs. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be fascinating to see that they've done a great job as far as bridging towards profitability over the last few quarters. And I think it's going to be a very interesting listing. What lies ahead for Instacart as a public company? I was reading that it'll be one of the first independent grocers to go public, but I'm kind of curious what you think lies ahead once this company goes public. Yeah. So the S1 was a fascinating read. I think especially when you go in and and you look, read through the section on sort of, you know, how they see risk, you know, they explicitly call out, you know, sort of concentration of customers and then, you know, what happens if one of them leaves. And they even talk about, you know, how they've weathered this in the past, you know, i.e. when Amazon bought um, Whole Foods, which is one of their largest partners, and then Amazon just did it themselves. So the headwinds wise, um, you know, they have the challenge of, hey, what happens if Kroger and Albertson merger goes through? Do they continue to be a great partner? Now, that said, you know, Walmart, who is the largest um, grocer in the country, still is, you know, partnering very closely with Instacart. And so, you know, we'll see sort of where that goes. In my mind, what I'm most curious about is less on the revenue, but actually on the units. And so they're reporting not on GMV, but they're creating a new metric that includes some fees that customers are paying. But when I look at their increases, I want to benchmark that to grocery inflation, and then I want to look at unit mix. And so over time, what I'm curious about is sort of like, okay, as as you know, how much of their growth is being fueled by inflation on a dollar basis? What's happening on a units basis? And then what's sort of the mix of advertising and where does that grow over time? So if I'm a brand, I'm going to look to see, you know, how the unit mixes, you know, is happening, sort of divorcing that of the inflationary pressures, which is growing a lot of brands right now. And then for Instacart, it's a how do they get to growth with new customers? 
And so right now, it sort of reminds me of, of Amazon a decade ago in the sense that the customer base is, is highly affluent. They bias towards people that are, you know, really love the convenience. And uh, how do they get net new customers? You're seeing them put a lot of effort into Snap and EBT to diversify that customer base. But ultimately, I would think one of their biggest challenges is the retailer's set price. And so the retailers do not want e-commerce to be a profit to creative shift. So they increase price, which then decreases the addressable market because of folks that are price sensitive and they don't want to pay a big increase. And so what Instacart's great opportunity is, is how do they then steer traffic to what they know will be a better CX based off of pricing? And so you'll see them start to show, you know, on the screen of where's pricing match in store, which is a much better experience, which ultimately then hope to grow the company. I love that. And as someone who has used Instacart a bazillion times, like if I, I will actually take the time to go look at the price on Instacart and then it's like, hey, if I can see it on, say, some retailer's app that the in-store price is 10 cents lower, you know, I'm getting in my car and I'm going to go get the 10 cent lower price. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, exactly. And, and and to me, it's like like I think about like my family, I do all the grocery shopping. And what would, would be awful is taking a three and a two year old to a brick and mortar grocery store. So I love it. Like I'm on a first name basis with like one of the, uh, you know, the Instacart shoppers that frequently you know, visits our house. He's wonderful. So appreciate the service. But it's, you know, as they go forward, figuring out how they get the prices to be as close as possible um, to in-store is a monstrous opportunity, both for Instacart as well as the retailer partners, just figuring out that little profitability piece. Got it. All right. Let's move into story number two, which is Walmart and Target's earnings. So I'm going to have us start with Walmart. And from your reading of the earnings, which I know you've probably thoroughly read through, and then also from Edgewater Research Company's reports, I'm curious what stood out to you for your Walmart second quarter? Like any major surprises? My personal favorite stat in there was automation and fulfillment centers driving a 30% increase in efficiency by the hour. I think that that's like crazy. But for you, what were your call outs? Walmart did exceptionally well. And principally in the macro environment, customers absolutely want to make sure that they are getting the best value possible. And Walmart benefits from that. Uh, so does Dollar, but Walmart especially. And as well as in the macro environment, customers will then be a bit more hesitant around uh, general merchandise and hard goods, and will focus more on, on CPG. And so where you know Walmart is especially strong, versus, you know, versus Target. So they did amazing. And so high growth in e-commerce, high growth in advertising, um, you know, and then overall just just high growth. So they're benefiting from their great real estate assets. They have 4,800 stores, 90% of Americans um, visit the store in any given year, and they have lots of upside. And so I went into a Walmart a couple of weeks ago. And when I think about how they are leveraging the advertising business and they see all this upside with screens, with radio, pulling that back, you know, they've got, you know, so much upside. And the store I went into, it's not there yet when it comes to screens and, and audio, but it was clean. It was great selection, really well merchandised. Price was great. Just a really, really good experience. I've been in Northwest Arkansas for the past six weeks. I actually I have to go home tomorrow, which I'm very sad about. But it's just been fascinating, like learning everything there is to know about Walmart and getting to actually like talk to the people that work at Walmart. And I walked into the parking lot of one store the other day across from like a restaurant and they had speakers playing like a round of ads in the parking lot. I was like, am I being advertised to as I walk into the store? And it was really interesting. But yeah, they're, Walmart's killing it. They're killing it. And it's, so their challenge, though, is the percentage of customers that are paying cash. 
And so deterministically, it's harder than to map back to it. So as they focus on payments and being able to close that loop, they will then sort of be able to start to see like, hey, if Emma goes into the store and pays cash, it's going to be really hard to map that back to the uh, on a one-to-one basis to that audio. But if you start using you know, their payments platform, that becomes much simpler and also then sort of powers uh, additional insights on Luminate. So I think they've got a great runway here. You know, the thing I'm looking for is how much they're able to grow the marketplace and figure out how do you introduce the marketplace to a customer who's looking for OGP, being able to say, hey, yeah, you're looking for groceries, but hey, there's this whole marketplace you can also shop. That's a huge, huge opportunity for them. Cool. All right. Back to actually Target and just talking through what were your main call outs when it comes to Target's earnings? Sure. So Target's got some headwinds couple of big ones. One, some of them in the southeastern uh, United States, you know, fallout from their support of pride, you know, has hurt sales in that region. And they also they're, they're more hard lines focused and less CPG focused. And so it within the macro environment, as customers are you know focusing on uh, CPG and everyday value, they're buying fewer uh, discretionary items, which is ultimately Target's sweet spot. So those two combined created a lot of headwinds for Target. I think as we sort of look forward and into the lap into the new year, as the economy hopefully has a soft landing and rebounds, Target should be well positioned to grow going forward. But they've certainly, this has been a tough year for them and getting back to growth, you know, is is absolutely focused, um, you know, across the organization. Do you think that Q4 will look good for Target? Will that kind of be not necessarily a saving grace, but looking better and setting them up for more success next year. Yeah, I mean, for me, Q4, one, everybody's lapping where they had a ton of inventory last year. And so they were highly promotional. And so it's sort of like, how promotional are they going to be this year? If you would have asked me that like three, four months ago, I would have been like, nah, they're not going to be as promotional this year because they were just so, you know, they were so promotional last year um, and they're not long on inventory anymore. So why would they? But I think because of the macro environment, they're going to have to be more promotional just because the consumer is hesitant here. And we've seen other mass retailers make statements around the consumer and sort of willingness to pay. So we'll see sort of what the depth of promotion looks like for Q4. But I think that's going to be critical for all the retailers in getting customers to spend. Got it. Let's move into story number three. I think this one's cool and exciting. Not that the other ones weren't, but I just love Pinterest. But Story number three, Amazon sponsored product ads will be appearing on Pinterest, BuzzFeed and Hearst newspapers, which is also known as offsite placements of these. I'm curious, why is this a smart move for Amazon or is it? So this is they've been baiting this and playing with this for years and years. And uh, so it's you know, this is not the first time that sponsored products has been offsite. But this is absolutely the biggest push um, they've made so far. I find it fascinating from a yield perspective for the publishers in the sense that can they, you know, if I'm Pinterest, do I make more money if I have sponsored products, you know, on my site versus a display ad? And so am I transacting on a CPC basis or a CPM basis? And if they make more money on the CPC basis on sponsored products, that's super, super interesting. And then all of a sudden, lowly old sponsored products starts becoming a mid funnel product and being able to then sort of pull net new customers in. So to me, when I look at this, we'll see how much of a breakout we get from Amazon as far as reporting goes. But I would look to look the percent of NTBs on the offsite, you know, versus percent of NTBs on onsite to see sort of how incremental this placement is, which will then drive willingness for brands to pay, which will then increase the yield for the publishers. 
I'm impressed with myself because one of my questions was going to kind of ask about that and you already answered it. So somewhere along the way, I was in your head and I knew what was coming. Good, good. You, you didn't tell me what you were going to ask. So this is you know on the fly. So well done. I tagged you in it, but like, I was like, I'm, I don't see him in it. So he doesn't, I will send it no, next I time. It. I, oh, cause it's, it's so fun to like, I like knowing the general topics, but I don't want to get, you know, too much into it. It's more fun to try to wing it. I am curious for maybe any of our like listeners that are brands, will that data from the sponsor products that are on, let's say Pinterest, can you pull that data into AMC to kind of see that full, more of that journey? My expectation is longer term that we're going to be able to see that, whether it's the ad console or AMC. I haven't dug into it yet. I need to look at that. I do that. I'll do that this weekend and dig into sort of the tables and how the reporting looks. But my expectation is it, it would come through like my guess is it would come through as the, like sort of like what is the, you know, sort of within the CSQ field. And then again, instead of it being a query or an ASIN, um, it probably would then show what the site is. And so for me, like I'm curious, like, when does a customer see these ads? Like what's the trigger? And then what is the percent of it's like, when is it sort of a remarketing exercise versus pulling people in? When is it behaviorally based versus, you know, contextually based? But I think Pinterest is a phenomenal site. It drives a lot of inspiration. And to me, this is a huge opportunity for Amazon to drive mid funnel consideration. Like it's sort of like, if it's just remarketing, fine, like not as interesting, but it's, I mean, it'll still work, but it's much more interesting if it can actually drive discoverability. And so, you know, how do you then sort of based off of what, you know, folks are doing, you know, like if I go to Pinterest and I'm looking for inspiration and then Amazon is then able to then serve me an ad for a product that's related to the inspiration that I'm trying to browse around, that's a, that's a killer ad, like killer ad. So can't wait to see how it goes. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was reading a line that the majority of like Pinterest shopper behavior on Pinterest is people actually searching for products. It's kind of shifted from inspiration to products. But at the same time, anything you want, anything you're inspired by, you probably need a product because capitalism. Yeah, eventually it ties back. <laughs> and so like to me, like I look at like infrastructure going forward is like the foundational metadata is, you know, are the SKUs, are the ASINs? And then how do you then bridge up to, you know, mid and upper funnel and then be able to tie it back to that, you know, SKU or, or that ASIN? Because ultimately for the brands, like, you know, nobody reports to Wall Street on CPMs and CPCs, you know, they report on sales. And so how do we drive visibility to these products to increase sales and, and help people, you know, look longitudinally and look longer? We have a an announcement coming out next week about like, you know, our co-build with Amazon around the LTV. And so being able to say, hey, yeah, Amazon's really good at selling stuff quickly, but they're also really good at reselling items and helping drive discoverability. And having visibility to that for brands, you know, then sort of should drive mid to upper funnel investment. And I think the sponsored products office is a key component of that. Boom. Last question, speed question. What are you looking forward to in the world of e-commerce for the month of September, which I, I do know we are one week into September, but, you know, that's how it works. I'm looking forward to it actually being cooler weather. Uh, that's on, on a personal level. And for me, I think probably... You know, last year, this was a time where Amazon was right-sizing inventory. And so a lot of brands weren't seeing purchase orders as Amazon, you know, took down their inventory position. So now the brands should actually have a really easier lap um, when it comes to what their net receipts are. So I think that's actually going to be a nice tailwind 
for all of the brands that they're they're gonna you know they just have an easier lap for Q4. And then if so, okay, now what do you what do you do with that? And then how do you turn that into an advantage? And then so I, I expect to see brands experimenting it a little bit more. And I think a great opportunity is is unboxed and seeing sort of what Amazon's gonna be coming out with to help drive growth. And you know my expectation is that there's gonna be some really interesting innovation around Amazon Marketing Cloud. And uh, you know I think it'll be a great event. Perfect. And that's it for this month's e-commerce news. Tune in next month for our September recap and be sure to share this episode if you enjoyed it. I'm Emma Irwin and I'll see you next time. Hey, like what you're hearing? If you'd be interested in partnering with Flywheel to grow your e-commerce business, we have an offer for a potential audit of your catalog on Amazon, Walmart, or Target from the Flywheel team. They are always curious to dive into media strategies and content optimizations, so reach out today by emailing us at audit at flywheeldigital.com.